Hello and welcome to Top Deck Insight, our podcast on everything Magic the Gathering. I'm joined by my co-hosts Josh and Sarah. Hello. Hello. And today we will be discussing Kalheim. Kalheim is the most recently released expansion of Magic the Gathering and the main inspiration of the set is Norse mythology. The cards, mechanics and themes all represent Norse culture in a mythological setting. Therefore, you can expect the appearance of giants, dwarves and gods and there's mechanics like snow and boast. But anyway, let's get into what this episode is about. This episode, myself, Josh and Sarah have picked certain cards from Kaldheim which we think have many talking points. So let's get into it. Okay, so if you guys are happy for me to go first, Mm -hmm. I'd like to bring to the table Doomscar. Now this is a three white white sorcery and it reads, destroy all creatures, foretell one white white. Now... For the sake of the viewers that don't know, I'm going to read out what Fortel does just this once for the episode. During your turn, you may pay two and exile this card from your hand face down. Cast it on a later turn for its Fortel cost. So what you'll notice with Doomscar is that it has a converted mana cost of five, but if you foretell it, you are still paying the five mana except it's split across two turns. And this is huge. This means that it can be a turn three board wipe. You can foretell it on turn two and then play it on turn three. And I think that that is absolutely massive in pretty much every format. It's an unconditional destroy all creatures for three mana or, well, for five mana, but you can get it done on turn three without really any ramp. I think this is going to see play in limited and standard i think this is going to go through to eternal formats i think that this is noteworthy because it's the best mono white card in the set yeah i mostly agree but i do think there is a downside that you have to take turn two off so in faster formats that might not be as great but i think in edh or control decks i think it's a fantastic card i agree with that partly i think that doomscar will pave the way forward for control decks in both standard and historic however i don't agree that it is the best mono white card in the set i think it's top five at most but mono white did receive lots of powerful cards this set and that's not to say that doomscar isn't powerful i think it will see play in in so many different formats just because a turn three board wipe that is i mean relatively no downside is very rare. The most notable turn three board wipes would be things like Flame Sweep, and that only deals two damage to each creature. However, Doomscar destroys all creatures, so yeah. I think that when you're kind of assessing the power of a card, there are loads of different ways you can look at it. A card can be incredibly powerful and limited and unplayable in standard. It can be incredibly powerful in standard and unplayable in historic or modern. Uh, it can be, it, yeah, it, it can be hard to assess. But I think that. The, the reason I rate Doomscar so highly is because I think that it's going to be top of its class as a white board wipe. It's going to be sort of top of its caliber in every format. And that is, uh, that's a sign of a very powerful magic card. Okay, so the first card I would like to bring to the table is Binding the Old Gods. It's two black and a green for an enchantment saga. And I'm just going to read what uh, a saga does. As this saga enters and after your draw step, you add a law counter and you sacrifice it after three. So the first law counter is destroy target non-land permanent and opponent controls. The second is search your library for a forest card, put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. 
And the third law counter is creatures you control gain death touch until end of turn. So I've picked this basically because the first effect is the best one. It's versatile removal because it can target any non-land permanent. And the turn two is ramp that's not limited to basics. I'm not particularly fussed about turn three. What do you guys think? I do really like this card. Uh, I think this is great. And I like that uh, you don't care too much if it survives. Uh, because, like you said, the, the first ability is the best one. And, so, you know, some sagas, you, you play them and then you're waiting for that final ability. Like um, uh, Song of Freilis, for the first two turns you're just tapping for mana. And then the third turn, all of your creatures get a whole bunch of keywords. Uh, vigilance, Trample, Indestructible, I yeah. think. Um, and then plus one counters maybe as well. I think so, yeah. Um, two and minutes. Yeah, but you know, you put that out, it has to survive for two two turns, two yeah. full turns, before you get that huge impact, before it's really worth the mana that you pour into it. Uh, this though, if you play this, and then you destroy one of your opponent's permanents, and then they spend their removal removing this, I mean, you really don't mind that much. You, you get your value straight away, and I think that that's a really good thing with these sagas. Yeah, I agree. I think typically sagas have shown to be that sort of cascading format where it's the first turn isn't as impactful and it's the third one that's the most impactful. However, what this, what the design here has set up is the synergy with flickering because the first step will happen whenever it enters the battlefield. So you can effectively re recur the first step, which is the most powerful, which makes it a really nice design. And a really powerful card to put in flicker decks such as Yorian, Abzan Yorian, or Saltai Yorian. I, I definitely see, will see this play four of in the main deck. Sam, you want to go next? Yeah, thank you. So the first card I would like to talk about from Kaltheim is definitely my favourite card from this set, and that is Showdown of the Scouts. Showdown of the Scouts is an enchantment saga and costs two red-white. The first law counter reads, Exile the top four cards of your library until the end of your next turn, you may play those cards. The second law counter reads, Whenever you cast a spell this turn, put a plus one plus one counter on a target creature you control, and the same goes for the third law counter. Now, this card, in the colours that it is in, is possibly one of the best cards that this set has released, simply because red and white notoriously struggle with draw power, with drawing yeah. cards. And it doesn't just draw the cards, it exiles the top four of your library, which make them playable, which makes them less susceptible to hand removal, such as th things like Valky, for example, can't target the cards that you exile from your library. The only downside is, obviously, they're exiled face up, which means your opponents can see them. However, in the kind of decks that this would be played in, in aggressive decks, I don't see it being a downside, because you're slamming those creatures down no matter what, you're slamming those spells down. Um, and then, again... The nature of this saga is that the first step is really powerful and the second and third steps are also really, really powerful. I don't really see a downside to this card other than the the colours, which may may or may not be like the worst colours in Magic. But Yeah, really, I think that the exile part of this card is just to stay in keeping with the colour pie. Exactly. Right? If, yeah. it was, if it was a red-white spell that drew you four cards, that that's kind of a big break in the color pie but yeah but red does plenty of exiling off the top of the library so it it, it fits uh it's it is an effective way to generate card advantage uh just like binding of the old gods i, I like this because it's great if you can recur it exactly the, yeah. the first law counter is the best one if this was backwards if it was 
Whenever you play a spell, put a 1-1 counter on a creature you control for the first two turns, and then you exile the top four cards of your library and you can play those. Then that's turn four play this, and then turn six you're getting those cards, and that's yeah. terrible. Yeah, that it'd is be much not... worse that way. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I think it's similar to Escape to the Wilds, but in colours that definitely need it more. Let's I think... hope it's not too much like Escape to the Wilds and they don't ban it. Yeah, I... I... <laughs> Could I can see that happening. It's already making huge waves in standard. Mm -hmm. Like it's already being played in what people online in what Crokeys is calling the best deck in standard right yep. now. Nia Adventures, yeah. Yeah. And I think that he, this is an absolute bomb of a card. So I will go next. I want to bring to attention Search for Glory, which is a two and a white for a snow sorcery. Search your library for a snow permanent card, a legendary card, or a saga card. Reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. You gain one life for each snow spent to cast this spell. Should we explain what snow is before we introduce this card? Yeah, go on. There are snow lands in Magic, which work the same way as basics, except the mana that they produce is snow. And that's functionally no different to normal mana, except it can be used to pay for snow mana costs. Yes, yeah, certain cards will have mana costs that are, have the snow symbol, which means it can only be paid with a mana from a snow land. So this is a three mana tutor for a legendary creature, is the way that I'm looking at this. And that's great in EDH. You can use this as a, it's very splashable. It's only one white and you can use this to assemble combo pieces. This is... I think really good for EDH. I think this is a three mana tutor your entire deck for a legendary creature. And I do think most of the time it's gonna be a legendary creature, but you can get, uh, you know, if you're playing a snow deck, it's even better. If you have a good saga, something like maybe Elspeth Conquers Death or uh, what's what's the Nicol Bolas one? It's a Nicol Bolas saga? Yeah, it's like a mono black one. It's very good. Oh yeah. Um, that I, I think that was quite powerful, but you could chew to those up. But ultimately, I think that this is a cheap, splashable card, which you can use to assemble your combo pieces. It being one white, it's easy to cast. It can find you that legendary creature that is really, really impactful for your deck and get it into your hand. And it, it just makes your deck that much more consistent. I think that this is going to... I don't know about standard, but I think this is definitely going to be a good card to buy for EDH. Uh, yeah, I think the life gain in this is great i mean never going to be upset that you've gained life but it's, i wouldn't spend my snow mana to gain the life yeah if there was anything better to spend it on no i think that the second part of this card is pretty relevant the snow mana which gains you life is just absolutely not where my mind went with this card i think this card is situationally better than other tutors that we have in white such as idyllic tutor that's going to be if, you, if you're running that card it's going to your deck is going to be conducive to a very enchantment based game plan so I think similarly, this card will see very niche uses, um, but I do th I think it's a decent card. But yeah, it will be. It you'd have to have a very specific build around game plan. I don't uh, think so. I don't think so. I think any commander deck that has white is not not all the time, but is is very likely to have a legendary creature because legendary creatures are just true. that much more powerful in commander. Um, since the legend rule doesn't really come into it and they tend to have unique powerful effects I think any commander deck that has white will probably get some good targets out of this I card I guess so, yeah So the next card for me is Goldspan Dragon which is 3 and 2 red for a creature, dragon, 
uh, with power and toughness 4. It has flying and haste and it reads whenever goldspan dragon attacks or becomes the target of a spell create a treasure token. The treasure tokens you control have tap sacrifice this artifact add two mana of any one color. So I think this is great. It has haste and so you're attacking with it straight away so you're immediately getting two mana back and as it's a flyer you're probably going to attack with it every turn. So every turn you're getting two mana and you can use that two mana to protect it if someone tries to target it. Yeah, I think I think this card is absolutely nuts. It's a top end threat and it immediately gives you two mana back. It's almost like a like a refund on your mana. Um, and that kind of reminds me of Teferi Hero of Dominaria. Very similar thing. Five mana, big threat, untapped two of your lands, which you can then use to protect Teferi. Uh, this is the same. It's a five mana big beater but it gives you that mana back, which you can use to back it up to protect it however however you want. And uh, that's a really big deal. We've seen that be a big deal in Standard before, and I think we're going to get the exact same thing here. I think this card is definitely going to be a top-end threat in Control decks in Standard. Um, I, I, maybe it has a home in Big Red. Maybe. I'm not sure. I think from looking at this card, I think the most... I think it will see Standard play. Um, and I believe the best deck for it will probably be an is it list uh, simply because you can have you have access to for example saw it coming which is the two mana counter spell effectively mm -hmm. once you foretell it um, so you can play this as your top end and whether or not they remove it if they if they try and remove it you get the mana straight away to be able to counter it yeah. because it will go onto the stack after and then your ability resolves creating the two mana so yeah it's a very powerful top end and I think it will see home in is it uh, where where is it has access to spells which can either like counter or just in general deal more damage. I think this is a really solid card. I think this is gonna Looking this to is it. gonna be one of the more powerful cards played in standard. So the next card I wanted to bring up was Immerstone Predator. Immerstone Predator is a vampire dragon uh, that costs two black and red for a power three toughness three flying, and the text reads. Whenever Immerstone Predator becomes tapped, exile up to one target card from a graveyard and put a plus one plus one counter on Immerstone Predator. Additionally, you can sacrifice another creature and it gains indestructible until end of turn if you do tap it. I think this card is absolutely insane. Simply put, the sacrifice ability is a f more or less a freely costed sacrifice ability, similar to Woestrider. I think Woestrider made some amazingly influential moves in historic and standard uh, simply because of its ability it doesn't seem that great at first glance but having a free sacrifice outlet is so so good and the upside to this one instead of scrying one from worst rider you get to exile something from the graveyard put a counter on it it becomes more powerful as a flying threat and exiling a target card in a graveyard is really helpful especially if you can target an uro or a croxa or anything that's dangerous in the graveyard I think this card will see lots and lots of play in Rakdos lists, almost as a replacement for Corvold, so you don't need to splash green for Corvold. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think that a lot of newer players will see the cost sacrifice a creature as quite steep, but it really isn't. This is actually, uh, this is a good thing. That built-in mm -hmm. free repeatable sack outlet is really powerful in the right decks. Yeah, because you'll only be playing this sacrifice in, in a sacrifice type deck where you'll have access to 
plenty of creatures that you can sacrifice or access to claim the first one where you can take the opponent's creatures and sacrifice it there's just tons of value built into this card yeah yeah tons of value i mean let's let's go through the list of all the things that this card actually does it's a three three flyer mm -hmm. it protects itself with indestructible yeah on the turn it's it comes a down, free yeah. sack outlet it grows itself with one one counters and it exiles cards from graveyards that is so much stuff to pack onto one card yeah and the best thing about it is it's a vampire dragon i mean name a cooler combination <laughs> of magic the gathering creatures vampire dragon yeah i think you guys have kind of said all the reasons why it's great uh one thing i think is worth noting though is that it says exile up to one type card from a graveyard so if there aren't any you still get the counter if you attack. Yeah, you're right. That's purely upside. If it was, if exiling a card from a graveyard was part of the cost, then it would be the case that if there weren't cards to mm. exile, you wouldn't be able to protect this creature. But it's not. Since it's mm. up to one, that is pure upside. Okay. All right. So this next one is a bit of a weird one. Um, I, I think it's noteworthy. I don't know whether it's good, but it is noteworthy. It's Orvar the All Form. So it is three and a blue for a legendary creature, Shapeshifter, with power three and toughness three. It has Changeling, which means it's all creature types, and it has, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, if it targets one or more other permanents you control, create a token that's a copy of one of those permanents. When a spell or ability an opponent controls causes you to discard this card, create a token that's a copy of target permanent. So, I think that this card has the potential to be broken in some kind of weird combo. It reminds me a little bit of Kethis the Hidden Hand, which had what seemed like an unassuming ability, which let you play legendary creatures from your graveyard. Uh, but we ended up breaking it in this obscure deck that nobody saw coming, um, and it was unreal unbelievably powerful deck as long as you didn't expect it yeah and i kind of see orvar potentially being the same thing i think that this has a lot of combo potential i myself i i might play around to see whether i can build this into like a feather the redeemed list in jeskai colors so that i can if i have this down and i play a spell that targets one of my creatures then i get that spell back into my hand thanks to feather and i get a copy of the creature thanks to Orvar, and then I've, I'm just generating so much value that there's no way my opponents will be able to stand up to that. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether it will work, but I think that this is one card that you that we need to experiment with to see where we can break it. I think this could work really well with Goldspan Dragon. So you've got Orvar down, you play Goldspan Dragon, target with a spell, copy Goldspan Dragon, and then yeah. you've got two 4-4 four, four flyers with haste, and you're going to get four mana back. And you can even, if you're playing those colours, you could even play it on with five mana on turn five playing the godsband dragon that is attack with it and then you've generated the two mana to play a spell that turn mm -hmm. even if you don't get to attack with two four four flyers you've still got a second copy of godsband dragon which will effectively you know you'll have so much mana and treasure up to protect them okay so the next card i want to talk about is in search of greatness it's green green for an enchantment and it reads at the beginning of your upkeep you may cast a permanent spell from your hand with converted mana cost equal to one plus the highest converted mana cost among other permanents you control without paying its mana cost. If you don't, scry one. If nothing else, this is two mana to scry each turn before you draw, which I think is pretty great anyway. And in a deck with the right curve, you can play a free permanent spell each turn. And as you're playing this on turn two, 
I think you will get a few turns where you can play a spell for free. Yeah, I think if you build your curve with this card in mind, it can be really powerful. Um, I don't know if it just slots into any deck that I can think of, uh, but I think reading this card, reading this kind of ability, I think it's not inherently broken, the card. Like, you don't read it and think, my god, this is just busted in every way. But I think that this is another one that we can break. Well, I was going to say, the only thing I don't like about this card is the mana cost. I think the mana cost makes it really hard to place into other decks. And as it stands in in standard, a mono green list, I just don't think we'll play this kind of card. Because mono green is all about... It is all about that turn three creature that you play in Lovestruck Beast or the Kazandu Mammoth. But after that, I don't think it becomes that important. Yeah, I'm holding out on this card. I think eventually there will be something to break it. Okay, so for my next card, I would like to talk about is Secret God Favored. Secret God Favored is a one white white legendary creature, human warrior, power two, toughness two. It has flash and first strike and protection from God creatures. And it reads, when Secret God Favored enters the battlefield, exile up to one target attacking or blocking creature until Sigrid leaves the battlefield. Now, I think the mana cost would I imply that it's played mostly in mono-white strategies. And I think it's a really good card for mono-white. Currently in standard, mono-white will play its most powerful cards on turn two in Seasoned Hallowblade and Luminarch Aspirant. And turn three, you want to spend that turn either protecting it by holding up protection. And, and if you do that, if you protect it by holding up protection, you don't have to use that for that turn. And then you can instead flash in Secret God Favored, which is just a really nice creature to fill in your, your turns out. And the ability, it, it can be really important. You can exile an, an opponent's attacking Lovestruck Beast if you're on the draw. I think this is a really powerful card. I'm looking forward to seeing this be played more in standard. I think it fits really nicely into Mono White. Yeah, I, I think that the protection from gods is going to be pretty irrelevant. I know that there's a lot of gods in standard right now, with Theros set being legal, mm -hmm. and uh, there are a lot of gods printed in Kaldheim too. We're going to mm -hmm. talk about some of them. But I do think that pro god is kind of irrelevant. But However, it's not that, necessarily a downside. It's not. It's not. It's yeah. not a downside unless you have a god. So I don't think he, your own Heliod, can put counters on. That's, it. That is a very good point, actually. Uh, Heliod generally can't be played, uh, or can't it can't target secret. But the idea is that. In mono white, mono white sort of strategies at the moment, it's switched from the Heliod life game package to back to its old days and just aggressive. I'm just sort of aggressive, yeah. Attacking, yeah. yeah. So, so Heliod generally doesn't see much play anymore, um, just because the life game cards in mono white mm. are, are terrible right now. How about you, Sarah? Yeah, I think a flash 2 2 first strike is solid. I think you're right, though, that it will only see play in mono white. Okay, next card. Next card is from me Pyre of Heroes. I really like this card, so let me read it out. Pyre of Heroes is two mana, colourless, for an artefact which has two tap, sacrifice a creature, search your library for a creature card that shares a creature type with the sacrificed creature and has converted mana cost equal to one plus that creature's converted mana cost. Put that card onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. Activate this ability only any time you could cast a sorcery. So I think the, the text is quite confusing. I think we should clear it up. Mm -hmm. So you pay two mana, tap Pyre of Heroes, and sacrifice a three mana creature. Then you can search your library for a four mana creature, which shares a creature type with the creature that you sacrificed, and put it straight onto the battlefield. So this is a repeatable 
Neo form in any tribal deck. It fits into any deck because it's colorless. Uh, I think this is going to be really powerful in Commander Tribal decks. You have a hundred different cards, all of the same tribe. They all have different effects. This is going to allow you to push out your more powerful creatures. And I think that they, they go straight onto the battlefield. It's really mana efficient. You get to do it every turn. I, I just I think this is going to be a really powerful card in creature-based Tribal Commander decks, which are very popular. I do think this card will see very niche uses in Standard and Historic. I don't think it will be too popular just simply because you're paying a total of 4 mana for a Neoform. Mm. Um, and obviously that is subjective to the fact that you can keep on doing it. It is repeatable, like you said, but in formats like Standard and Historic, you want to you wanna be speedy. You want to be quick, quick about what you're doing. So I don't, see, I don't think you'll see too many uses in Standard or Historic, but... Yeah. As you said, in EDH, this is a really nice artifact, really cheap. We'll definitely consider playing this in any of the tribal commanders that I have. So the next card we have on the list is what's known as an MDFC. An MDFC is a modal dual-faced card, which means it has a front side and also a back side. So the idea of the card is that it gives you an option to play either the front side or the back side. Once you've played one side, it doesn't allow you to play the other side. It just it gives you the, it basically has two options when you cast this card. So the one I want to talk about is Valky God of Lies on the first side, and that costs one and a black for a legendary creature God with power two toughness one. And it reads, when Valky enters the battlefield, each opponent reveals their hand. For each opponent, exile the creature card they revealed this way until Valky leaves the battlefield. You can pay X to choose a creature card exiled with Valky with converted mana cost X. Valky becomes a copy of that card. The second side is Tibalt Cosmic Imposter. Costs five black red for a legendary planeswalker. It comes in with five loyalty counters and reads, as Tibalt enters the battlefield, you get an emblem with, you may play cards exiled with the Tibalt Cosmic Imposter, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any colour to cast these spells. It has plus two, exile the top card of each player's library, minus three, exile target artifact or creature, and its ultimate for minus eight is exile all cards from all graveyards and add three red mana. So I pretty much just picked this card because I thought it was cool and would be fun to play. I'm sure you guys have a lot more to say about it, but yeah, that's why I picked it. There are loads of weird rules with MDFCs and actually with this card in general. I think one thing that a lot of people glossed over is that uh, the front side, Valky, when it transforms, it, it stops being Valky. So it does actually return the exiled card to its owner. It'd be the same as if you played a Kite Self Rebooter and you exiled somebody's card from their hand and then they cast Pongify on that cut self rebooter to turn it into a monkey, then you'd get that card back. Works the same way. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. When Valky transforms, they actually do get the card back. Yeah, because it's until Valky leaves the battlefield. Mm -hmm. Which I he see. does yeah. when he transforms. Um, and yeah, unlike some other cards that become copies, he doesn't retain any of his abilities. He just becomes a copy That's of that very other card. interesting. Yeah, so that is interesting. Definitely interesting. And I also think that, you know, my impressions of this card, the other side of it, Tybalt, Cosmic Imposter, I think that the minus eight is a bit disappointing. Do you think so? I think so. Like, exile all cards from graveyards and then add three mana. Honestly, I think I would just keep upticking this. Would you not think that's really powerful? I don't. So you're, But you, you get to play you, all the cards that you exile. You've played this card for seven mana already. Yeah. So you get it down. You've already got seven mana. You're probably already, on the, on the following turns, you're exiling a bunch of cards because you're upticking 
Tybalt. Yeah. And then you're playing those cards. I really, I feel like the, I feel like the minus eight is not really game winning. I would probably just keep upticking Tybalt. Well, the uptick arguably doesn't do anything anyway. I don't think it's any different to the downtick. The downtick, the the the, the minus it's eight the top gives card you of each player's three library, though. Yeah, that's that's effectively like four extra cards for you to choose from to yeah. play. And that can include know. lands. Like you're gonna get land drops after this, so you play it with seven mana. You uptick it two times. You're gonna be on it. You're gonna be on at least nine mana. I just don't think you need to minus. Like if if you've got nine mana, and you've got Tibble and you're exiling cards, you can start removing creatures that you want to play. But the th the only thing is, you can't exile the cards that are already in their graveyard. Because by that time, by that turn, what if they have? you know, a fairly filled up graveyard, mm. you don't have access to those cards. You only have access to their library that you're exiling and also yeah. on what's on the battlefield. So the next card on my list, uh, this one is a bit of an unexpected one, but it is Egon, God of Death, which is another dual-faced card as there's a cycle of gods, I think, in each color that are dual-faced. So Egon, God of Death, on the front side is two and a black for a legendary creature, God. And with these stats, power six, toughness six. Uh, it has the keyword death touch and it reads, at the beginning of your upkeep, exile two cards from your graveyard. If you can't, sacrifice Egon and draw a card. The other side reads throne of death. So you pay black for a legendary artifact. At the beginning of your upkeep, mill a card, and then you can tap the artifact and pay two and a black to exile a creature card from your graveyard and draw a card. So I put this card on the list because I think this will see a lot of play in standard Rakdos lists. Rakdos and Jund. Simply because the artifact side, the Egon side isn't necessarily as powerful. Funnily enough, a 3 mana for 6-6 six, six, I don't think is, on, on this in this instance, very good. Because the cost of keeping Egon alive I think is actually a bit too much. Especially if you're playing it in a sacrifice list where you don't necessarily want to exile the cards in your graveyard such yeah, as like woe strider which you can escape a lot of, uh, yeah graveyard recursion yeah don't you? so i think throne of death is actually the more powerful side here having the there a constant upkeep mill is actually more powerful than it sounds you're feeding your croxer you're you know you're putting cards in your graveyard which is just in in the right deck is really good uh, and the ability where you can tap three and uh, tap three and the artifact to Exile a creature from your graveyard, draw a card. It can be that one little draw that you need when your hand is empty and you just have spare creatures lying around. I think it's a really powerful artifact for one mana. Yeah, I agree. I think Throne of Death is excellent. It's a free mill and a self-feeding draw engine. Yeah, I think both sides of this are strong. Uh, I actually, I think Egon, God of Death, is, I think, a little bit more powerful and will see a little bit more play than you do, Sam. Because this is a, a three mana six six with death touch. So in a control deck, this comes down on turn three. It's going to. It's you're not going to have to sacrifice it till the next turn. So it's turn three. It stops your opponent from being able to attack favorably for a whole turn, mm. and then you sacrifice it and you draw two cards. I don't think this will see play in a control deck though. I think control decks with three mana can do so much more than play a 6-6 six, six blocker. Control decks, especially in standard, have just so much more options. I maybe feel. not, yeah, maybe not Especially in, in black. Uh, but I see it as, as kind of a control tactic. Not so much aggressive, I yeah. agree. I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not sure where this card is gonna go, but I do think that Egon's gonna see some play. I think Throne of Death is, is really great. Of course, they're the same card, so they synergize very well together. Turn one, Throne of Death, into turn three, Egon. 
means yeah. you can probably keep it down much more easily. You can keep milling yourself, uh, you can keep exiling creatures, and then you, you can be very aggressive. This next one, I'm going to bundle up a whole bunch of cards together, about 15 maybe more cards together, uh, which sounds brave, I know, but that's doable because they're all lands. So I want to talk about dual land type snow lands that have been printed at common in this set. I think that this is huge. This is really, really good. They have both land types, which means that the red and green one is a mountain and a forest, and the, uh, the, the blue and white one is an island and the planes. And that is a big deal for searching. If you're playing anything like uh, Sky Shroud Claim or... Binding the Gods. Binding the Gods, yeah. Any any card that searches for a forest or mm -hmm. searches for a plains like Oreskos Explorer, it can get a dual colour land for you now. It comes in tapped and it's at common. These are really, really good additions for Pauper. Pauper has no untapped dual lands already and that uh, snow is a pretty popular mechanic in pauper the other lands that i wanted to talk about in the set are the utility lands that have been printed so there's i'm not going to list them all but there is a cycle of lands that have been printed in kaldheim which enter the battlefield tapped they add a single color of mana so there is a white one that adds only white there is a blue one that adds only blue but they have additional abilities that correspond to a certain pair of colours. So we have here as an example Axgard Armoury, which is a land that enters the battlefield tapped and taps for white, but it also has this additional ability which costs one red, red, white, tap, sacrifice Axgard Armoury. And the ability is, search your library for an aura card and or an equipment card, reveal them, put them into your hand, then shuffle your library. So this land for effectively five mana, and you permanently lose one because you sacrifice it, you can search your library for an aura and an equipment and put them into your hand. I think this is really, really good, especially okay. in Commander, where equipment is all the more powerful. This is going to help Commander decks get out their skull clamps, get out their Sword of Feast and Famines, the Sword of the Animus. Very, very good value. I think so too, yeah. I think it'll see play. It'll definitely go straight into my Akiri Fearless Voyager equipment step. So, Faceless Haven, it's a snow land. It's colourless. It comes down untapped and it taps for one colourless. And you can pay three snow and Faceless Haven becomes a 4-3 creature with vigilance and all creature types until end of turn. It's still a land. So this is printed at rare, which I don't like. But I do think that utility lands are really powerful. Uh, and I think that this in particular, it enables a lot of tribal strategies because it comes in and it is all creature types. It enables a lot of four power matters cards like Furious Rise and Garrick's uh, Uprising is another one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, so it enables four power matters strategies. It, it turns on a lot of tribal strategies. It's hard to interact with. I think that this could see play in a, in some control decks, even in faster formats like Standard. Yeah. Um, like Crawling Barons does. Uh, I, I think the big question with this card, actually, is is it better or worse than Crawling Barons? Yeah, it's a very difficult comparison because when you evaluate the two, one big thing is that Faceless Haven is a snow land, which does produce snow mana. I don't know what control decks necessarily have in terms of snow uh, or needing snow mana, but one thing to differ with Crawling Barons is, yeah, that it creates snow mana, and, and whether or not that's relevant in a control deck it is, you know, it is something that it does have over it. And additionally, Crawling Barons, to 
achieve the same or similar stat line uh, of because you can make calling barons into a four four if you've paid two mana twice, which is a total of four mana. However, faces haven for three mana, three snow mana. However, it, it has the same stats as well, similar stats. As, as a crawling browns yeah as a crawling browns that you paid four mana for yeah and additionally faceless haven does have vigilance which is important in being able to play it attacking with it and then still tapping it for mana mm-hmm. after your combat phase which crawling barons does not however i do think crawling barons can grow much larger and in the in those grindier lists and control lists i think that might give it the edge okay i think we're on to the last card of the podcast and it is one that i am really really excited about Another modal dual-faced card, another god, Raidan, God of the Worthy. Raidan, God of the Worthy, costs two and a white for a legendary creature, god, and with power two, toughness three. And its abilities read flying, vigilance, snowlands your opponent's control enter the battlefield tapped, and non-creature spells your opponent's cast with converted mana cost four or greater cost two more to cast. And the other side reads... Valkmira, Protector's Shield, which costs three and a white for a legendary artifact. If a source an opponent controls would deal damage to you or a permanent you control, prevent one of that damage. Whenever you or another permanent you control becomes the target of a spell or an ability an opponent controls, counter that spell or ability unless its controller pays one. So, I think the the first thing is that the shield gener- the shield side, Valkmira, generally won't see play at all. I don't think it's very playable. The 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 all-star of this card is the front side in Raidan. Raidan is a another three mana creature in white, which I think will see a lots of play. Not necessarily in the main board, but very powerful in the sideboard. It's just really nice sort of protection. Uh, more or less a board white protection in mono white, which mono white has kind of lacked at three mana for Desperate a while. Yeah. The um, extra time that this card buys you it will probably win mono white a lot of games yeah. i would imagine a yeah. lot of games will be won in that that extra turn or two mm-hmm. that it prevents you from being board wiped um, yeah and it's a decently static creature as well with flying vigilance as a two three one interesting interaction with this is with doomscar so to mm-hmm. revisit doomscar doomscar costs five mana in total converted mana cost to five but you can foretell it and then play it for three if you foretell it it still costs you two more to cast if Raidan is down because its converted mana cost is still five. You're paying an alternate mana cost when you pay three. So then the foretold Doomscar still costs five. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's that's yeah, a really good deal. Be, it could be a really nice play if they foretell a Doomscar, which you can't actually set to, they'll see if they do that. Mm-hmm. But if you do that, that ruins the whole turn too. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's just a really powerful card. You did say, Sam, that Raidan was the final card, but yes. in fact it's not. I do have one more uh, the <laughs> plot twist. Surprise challenger. Bonus content. <laughs> I want to talk about Cosima, God of the Voyage. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so Cosima is one of the MDFC gods. So the front side is two and a blue for a legendary creature god with power two, toughness four. And it reads, at the beginning of your upkeep, you may exile Cosima. If you do, it gains... Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, if Cosima is exiled, you may put a voyage counter on it. If you don't, return Cosima to the battlefield with X plus one plus one counters on it and draw X cards where X is the number of voyage counters on it. I'm going to take a moment to break that down because mm-hmm. that's a lot of text yeah. and it's hard to follow. 
So if you play Cosima, then on your next upkeep, you get the choice to put her into exile or not. If you do put her into exile and you play a land, then she gets a voyage counter in exile. And you get the choice each time you play a land to put a voyage counter on her. If you choose not to put a voyage counter on her, then she returns to the battlefield with a number of 1-1 counters equal to the number of voyage counters that was on her. So equal to the number of lands that you played while she was in exile. And she draws you that many cards as well. So the other side of Cosima is the Omen Keel, which is a, a, a vehicle that costs one and a blue. It has power three, toughness three, and reads, whenever a vehicle you control deals combat damage to a player, that player exiles that many cards from the top of their library. You may play lands from among those cards for as long as they remain exiled, and it has crew one. So I really, really, really like it. The mechanic flavor balance is just perfect. Cosima herself goes on a voyage with her voyage counters, and then when you find land, she gets smarter. Oh. And then when she, when you play a land, when you choose not to, when you choose to end the voyage. She returns and she gives you that With knowledge in the knowledge. form of drawing cards. That's really cool. Right? So it's like she's gone on a voyage, she's learned about the lands that she's encountered, and then she's come back and she's shared that with you. That's and a then flavor win. It is a huge <laughs> flavor win. And then the omen keel, the omen keel has to attack your opponent, and then you can play lands that exiles off the top. So it's like it goes on a voyage, it that finds more like land. A raid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose <laughs> it does. Which is yeah. cool. Yeah, that has um, the Viking kind of. Uh... And I, yeah, and I really like cards like this that have sort of weird, unique mechanics that we've not really seen elsewhere that balance really, really nicely with their flavor. Mm -hmm. So I, I think Cosima's a great card as well, but I think the most noteworthy thing about this is how much of a flavor win it is. Yeah, I think what I have to say about this card is I actually don't know how I feel about the Omen Kill, the other side. I don't think it would see that much play over Cosima. I think if you draw this card, you want to play Cosima first at least. Just because the landfall is just a generally really good mechanic because you're getting value out of playing a card that's basically free because you're playing a land. And yeah, I think Cosima will see a lot of action actually in, I could probably say control just because it's a decently statted creature as well as a 2-4. And yeah, like with the mechanics of landfall you're getting you're getting what control was all about is is getting ahead on that tempo and if you're playing lands to get ahead on that tempo you're doing a good thing you're doing a good job yeah i think that the scenario that i can see playing omen keel is if you are expecting that your opponent has removal mm -hmm. uh, because for kasima to be really good she has to survive a whole turn before mm -hmm. you can exile her right uh, so I can see a scenario where you have the option to play Cosima, but you're expecting to run her into removal, so you play the Omen Keel instead, oh, and wow. then your opponent has lost tempo because they've held up removal, like creature removal, and you've played an artifact instead. And then yeah. on the next turn, you can play a creature, and then if they use their creature removal to kill that, you can crew in response, yeah. and then you've got Omen Keel in, and you get some value out of it that way. For me, I think it's all about Cosima. It's a value engine that's incredibly hard to interact with. And if you've got something like Fabled's Passage, you can do it at flash speed too. Yeah, yeah. so that's really important. Really powerful. I really like this. Yeah, the the dual face gods and is a really nice design for magic cards, I think. It combats some of the problems I think they've had with legendary creatures. And I think just in general, like dual face cards have been an absolute all-star 
Right guys, that's it for this episode. If you've got any cards from Cow Time that you think are worth talking about, let us know. You can tweet us at Top Deck Insight. I've been Josh. I've been Sam. I've been Sarah. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening. listening.